0: Hey there, and welcome to the UX Growth Podcast, sponsored by Bubble, the platform that empowers you to build web applications with no coding required. This is your go-to spot to dive deep into all things UX design. Here, we tackle the questions you've got about navigating the UX field and share a thing or two to help you grow in your UX journey. Each episode is all about making the tough stuff feel doable and inspiring, you to take the next step in your career. Now, let's jump right into today's chat. Hi,
1: this is the UX Grow Podcast, a podcast that helps people learn and grow in the UX design industry. I'm your host Nick Mann. I'm here with another guest of season three with Frank Bach, staff product designer of Instagram and founder of Sunshine Shop. Thank you so much, Frank, for being here. I'm excited to learn about your journey and how did you get to the place you are today? Awesome. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate you having me here. Yeah. So let's begin by your journey of like, how did you start off as a product designer? How did you know like this was going to be your career? Yeah, I
2: guess... If you take the word product away, I started off as kind of just as a designer. I I went to school for graphic design, and previous to that, found myself designing things, making things just for fun as a hobby. I've I've always been big into independent music, making music, making art, and I tended to be the the friend in my in my group who who would do the album artwork and do the posters and design the websites for our little projects that we had going on, and so. When I found out you could do that and make a living, it sounded pretty cool, and uh, that there was such a thing called communication design or graphic design, and I went all in and did that for many years—about seven years. Ran my own little studio up in Canada, where I where I grew up and where I lived most of my life. And at one point, um, the minute, minute, date myself, but the App Store came out, the iPhone came out. That started to look very exciting and oh. seemed to be a place where people with a design skill set could could work on really, really exciting new projects, new ideas for the future. And I don't think we understood really at that time what that could look like, but knew I wanted to be a part of it. And so I created in my, I guess, my graphic design career and learned all that I could about the world of product and digital in that way. And it was a little, little rocky at first, and I don't think there was a clear uh, playbook for how people kind of do this i think nowadays you've got boot camps and all that kind of stuff it's a little bit more Mm -hmm. clear-cut but at that time it was just figure it out on your own read articles read some books learn about experience design and just kind of crash course and and fumble your way through it and then one day you could land a job working as a product designer
1: yeah i enjoy that way of learning to be honest i think there's something that's just really exciting to learn about yourself as you're going through the process of like what part of mm-hmm. the design you best excel at how do you learn right. from it and then how you go through the experiences and there's failures there's trials and errors so like how do we grow mm-hmm. from that i think that's something that's really valuable from that that period and now everything feels like it's like on rails everything needs to be done this right. way i think that's a, right. definitely a yeah, part of like true. kind of like I feel like a little lost on that that aspect of like f- how people are able to find their way through the process. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's uh,
2: it, it was a, a very unique time when you look back at at the rush of graphic designers jumping into the world of product and just figuring figuring it out. And UX has always been a a discipline for many years, but it looks a little different nowadays than
1: it used to. Mm -hmm. yeah i come from graphic design as well so i feel like the path has been more paved for me so and i have also a lot of great product designers and ux are i can just learn from so it feels like i don't have to make these trial and errors when i can just look at other people like oh man also the crazy things that you're doing too Mm -hmm. i And that's actually one of the reasons why I had to get you on this podcast because I knew like the insights that you have that you are able to talk about has always been very profound and I was always looking up for that. Oh, thanks. Yeah, so. Yeah, no, is there any key principles that, or even philosophies that helps you become a better designer?
2: I mean, I think starting from a place of curiosity, no matter what you're designing is a big one why would anyone want to engage with this thing why what is this feature really doing how does this business make money just asking all the questions even the ones that feel dumb you can kind of get to get to the root of a problem pretty quickly by just by just being curious putting a question mark on everything being being that guy in the meeting who's just a little <laughs> bit pestering. starting people first at the end of the day of course we need to make money this is we're here, we're, we're trying to make a living and not have a hobby but if we're not solving problems for people, then there's no there's no end customer to buy or subscribe to the thing we've made. And so, making sure that we're balancing that the business and the people problems, I think that's key. I, I do think a lot of a lot of designers that I've that I've met tend to we I mean, really we fight for customers, but I, I do think we could we could see it more as like a fifty fifty kind of thing mm-hmm. and. Um I think the, this idea and maybe this is from my time working on the Headspace app but the idea of surprising and delighting I think that's always nice I know in the world of building MVP products it's always kind of stripped down to the bare bones bare minimum mm-hmm. but if you can find these little ways to infuse joy into products I think that that might not that might not move a bunch of important metrics that the business folks on the team are 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 thinking about. But when it comes to creating fun experiences that people enjoy, I don't think anyone can deny that that stuff has an impact as far as how you how the product or service
1: makes you feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can absolutely agree with your work you did with Headspace because I love that app. I can definitely attest to a lot of the joyfulness that I've gotten from it and uh, yeah it was a good run good
2: seven-year run put my heart and soul into it and yeah it was it was such a fun project to work on such a great team over the years
1: yeah I absolutely see it because through how you go through the app and like the colors of the illustrations and like how easy it is just to jump in to any kind of meditation that you want and be able to get exactly what it is that you want to experience it and just do on your own time and go at any pace. Like it's just such a joy to be able to use that app. I already did. Yeah. Sweet, thank I think you. that's something Appreciate that, that. i I think that's something a lot of designers do. Like even when I go through like designer interviews, I would talk mm-hmm. like, sometimes i even talk about like, what are some of your favorite apps? What goes through it? One yep. of them is Headspace. Yep. I think that's one of these really the best designed apps to even go to. And I'm not just saying that just because you're here and you were on the project <laughs> for quite some time. <laughs> Appreciate I'm, it. I'm <laughs> there. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's
2: for whatever reason, I think is because we, we yeah, I think the, the service, the app, what it brings to people really kind of speaks for itself. Even, if, even without the visuals and the colors, like to have an app experience that's mostly done in, in silence with your eyes closed to have that be also visually appealing. And we, it's funny over the years, we we there's a million improvements I'd love to have been able to make when it comes to the UX and information architecture and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's always really nice to hear from folks like you that you appreciate it. Cause when I look at the app, I just think about all the things that could be better.
1: Uh, I, I do feel you because of, When we're going through the process and we're in the weeds of it, like we see defaults, we see the things that like, oh, we could do this better or the things that you could add. And you see outside, like we are our biggest critics. Mm -hmm. Like we are so hard on ourselves a lot to the point where there's a lot of designers that say that if you don't hate your work, (laughs) you're not trying hard enough. (laughs) Yeah, true that. That's fair. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and that also brings me to my next question: Is how like, how do you integrate user feedback into your design process?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think in any company I've been in, it's been slightly different depending on mm-hmm. the situation. When I started at Headspace, we used to have we put a, a Craigslist ad up and have people come in on a Friday or every second Friday to kind of test features in the app out and stuff like that, and Obviously through the change things opened up a lot more uh, mm-hmm. kind of online way so we'd regularly have customer interviews and and chat with people and learn with them over the years I started to really appreciate this idea of co-designing with customers and meaning putting together a few prototypes getting them in front of people maybe they're not fully thought out concepts but they're they they're, they're they're ideas and meant to spark uh, a reaction. And I would usually put that in front of people, see how it made them feel, see how they responded, ask them questions around this, and use that feedback to then continue iterating on the V2, V3, V4, and then just kind of keep conducting those interviews until we land somewhere that we feel is is right for what we're trying to do. Then that's like the really hands-on stuff. If you're working on a consumer app, You've got the, the, the beauty of app store reviews. And mm-hmm. especially on larger consumer products that are are used by millions or billions of people, the feedback comes at you in more ways than you can even even handle. I think like Twitter and Reddit and customer support and things like that. And yeah, so there's so many so many ways to get it without get putting it together and making like a meaningful use that feedback is the challenge mm-hmm. i'd say but yeah i think as long as you can figure out some kind of loop where you're hearing something and you're able to action it or validate it action it then i think you're in a good spot
1: yeah, yeah. absolutely i think valid validation is always very key and being able to understand like where are the problems and how can we find yeah. solutions to that because that's, that's also one thing that I switched from graphic design. I noticed back is like mm. a lot of times it's like, man, is my, my manager happy? Is the client happy? Okay. Design is good. Oh, we're good to go. And when you go into product design, like turns out there's a lot more people that needs to go. Oh, through. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's, it's funny
2: you say that because when I was transitioning from the world of graphic design, I, I think I was a little burnt out on clients and they're clients opinions and things like that it's so subjective what is good and what is bad design when you're you're dealing with with clients in that way but when you get into the world of product and you're designing for users, they're kind of the audience and they don't even know it mm. and and that that feedback that data doesn't really it doesn't lie it, it, if nobody clicked that button, And there's something that you need to fix about this. It's not, it's not kind of a, just deliver the design and, you know, get, end the retainer and walk away, move on to client B kind of thing. It's just this constant iteration. So that is, I'd say overall, I'd say it's a, it's a, it's a plus, not a con, but it's definitely a different style of working.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm also curious to know, how's your approach to product design evolved over your career? I think,
2: I coming from a very visual background, that was my kind of tendency would be to kind of jump into making stuff that looks good, feels good, nice interactions, good flows, that kind of thing. It's obviously still very important, but I try to operate from like one level removed from there and think about like, what's the what's the job being done here? What is the thing that the customer is trying to do with this you know feature or page or button or flow or whatever we're working on and try to address it from there and then let the visuals kind of come second a lot of times working in Figma I will load up the the frame and have like the the UI elements on the screen but I'll actually just annotate what is the job that each one of these things are doing on the screen and why would any person looking at this care or why or what would they even do with this you know and a lot of times it it helps you strip away the beautiful visuals from the actual function or at least it helps Mm me and i kind of learned this while working on headspace because i think given that it's such a aesthetically pleasing app you could almost Mm -hmm. Do whatever you want with the interface, and it always looks pretty good. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> the, question of, <laughs> the question of does it does it perform? Does it is it doing the thing that people need it to do? That's like the bigger question. But that's one way the process has changed for sure. The my approach has changed. I definitely think a lot more about the business context, and having worked in a few different environments, like subscription based businesses advertising based businesses, like getting to the root of how does this company make money? That's definitely a big factor, like an overarching sort of thing over top my process and using that information to to, to help me work through the problem that we're dealing with. So yeah, how, how the business makes money, how does it plan to continue to make money? <laughs> what are, especially products that are quite international thinking about things like language, different languages, internationalization, localization, that kind of stuff is like pretty top of mind. Obviously accessibility is a big thing nowadays Mm -hmm. more than ever. There's there's actual laws and things in a lot of countries where your design work needs to be pretty accessible or else it's, it's posing a legal risk. So yeah, I think all those, all those things kind of mash them all together and try to try to make sense of it. I've got a little bit of a checklist that I, that I usually work with to try to make Mm -hmm. sure that I'm covering my bases, but I'm also human. I'm not always perfect, so do the best you can.
1: Yeah, and that's where the user feedback always comes because if you you miss something, you're going to hear about it. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely yeah but I totally agree with a lot of the aspects that like we need to really consider as we're going through like the product design for all the process and things oh, like yeah. uh, for example like color blindness that was something that I sure. never actually considered before until yep. I had to work on a project where that was actually our biggest problem In going oh, through yeah. the process. color
2: blindness but, yeah like color that like
1: I, I know that was, that was something like I never thought yep. about because, Yes. I'm not colorblind. So I think there's always yeah, that open mindedness sure. of the accessibility yeah, that we totally. see from other people that we, we didn't acknowledge that was even a problem. Right. Uh, yeah. One of the, I think one of the big ones that throws designers for a loop is type scaling because
2: mm-hmm. we tend to make our, we, we design our interfaces with an ideal kind of perfect 2020 vision type size and then as you as you crank up those accessibility settings and your button breaks and turns into two lines or three lines and what does that even look like that's always a challenge for people I, I, but i i quite enjoy it i think it's it's it shows the maturity and in, in your approach as a designer that you're you're able to build things that are designed not designed to break but like gracefully break i guess yeah knowing that yeah. The, the screen doesn't stay the same forever
1: yeah, the way I look at it is, with more constraints allows you to yeah. think of more creative solutions within it. Yeah. When there's the totally. opposite of like having like unlimited freedom, where that can be actually be a right. crutch because like where is the guidance? Where is the direction? How would this right. the right way? <laughs> and then you're always second guessing yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, cu- I'm curious about how you handle like pushback on some of your design ideas. Well, I think
2: I, ex- I expect it. One, mm-hmm. that's probably one thing is I know that working in the world of product, working in startups, tech companies, probably 90% of what you design will not get built for whatever, whatever reason. And so I've, I think I've learned to have some thick skin when it comes to that kind of critique. And if, if a few things you make every year end up getting built and they are successful, then that's a huge, huge win and you're having a pretty good year. How I handle pushback, I think similar to the approach to actually designing is it's usually a people thing. That's a, it's, a, it's a human situation and it's usually a comment or feedback you're getting from a person. And so let's deal with it like people do. Everyone's a little bit different. Everyone has different motivations. Some people have a genuine maybe their 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 pushback is from a genuine point of I don't know, user experience or maybe it's an engineering constraint or whatnot. And then sometimes you have people who push back just because they maybe they have their own self interest in mind. I don't know. Maybe they're maybe they're looking to make an impact in their own way. Mm -hmm. And then what you're proposing doesn't line up with that. And so I try to be as empathetic as possible, but stick to the facts and usually just have a one-on-one conversation and try to work through that together. What are your goals? What are my goals? Where can we meet in the middle? And um, separate from what you and I would like to achieve, what is our customer trying to achieve and what's the best thing for the business? And usually by bringing these things up, you're able to land somewhere that both sides can agree with. And um, I guess the pushback and the critique that I struggle with the most is um, these these terms that are kind of fuzzy. They're not really too well-defined. Things like, can you make it more immersive? I mean, (laughs) that kind of stuff is like, okay, (laughs) yeah, can you make it pop? Like, can you show me... Show me three things that you consider to be quote unquote immersive. And then I will do my best to uh, meet those expectations. But yeah, it's that, that kind of stuff. You're like, oh boy, okay. We're in trouble. We need to let us talk about this. Cause this is uh this is a bigger question.
1: Oh man. I totally, I totally feel you. And that's a, it's a common uh, problem. And, and no, yes. I know I already, I get that question a lot actually from my listeners because it makes sense because they're beginners and They are working through a lot of their personal projects or they're going through a boot camp. And a lot of the the problems that they're solving largely is it goes naturally smoothly because there is no pushback for there to happen because it's all about how can I solve this problem Without any kind of constraints and then once they're in a business that has to care about their bottom line has to care about their deadlines, has Mm -hmm. to care about like any legalities they have to deal with and all Mm -hmm. of a sudden, the things that you're trying to achieve are going to be more constrained it's not probably gonna work out as well as you may originally hoped. And then you gotta go through the process of doing your absolute best. And then finding out like, oh, it's not gonna happen in the the end. And then how can you get through the mental uh, perseverance of knowing that, hey, that's okay. It's part of the process. And that's just who we are as designers that we gotta keep going forward. Totally,
2: yeah. Yeah, it's always a process of iteration. Keep going. Mm -hmm. Don't quit, as you said earlier.
1: <laughs> yeah. For the listeners who don't know, my first podcast was called The Don't Get Podcast, where I just was a about self improvement and like overcoming a lot of challenges. I think that helped me a lot as a podcaster. And kind of the reason why this podcast is as good as it is now because of all the trial and errors i gone through in that podcast. <laughs> and what,
2: what Nick's not saying is that I bailed on this a couple of times. I was a little tricky to get a hold of over over email and scheduling but we're here today
1: it actually happens a lot more than i like to admit with my guests and i get it because everyone's <laughs> busy especially at this yeah. time of the year too like things happen oh yeah you know, like the, the economy right now isn't isn't not that good right now either so it's like what what looks good right now might totally. not be next week so i, I get it so yeah, i know like going, oh my god going oh, super the... yeah. super apologetic but like, i understand like it, it happens a lot to the point like i'm not even phased by it at all
2: that's great yeah that's good and we are you said it's a weird time for sure and we've gone through i don't think anyone expected this this open ai saga over the weekend oh that my we just went gosh through. that was really something <laughs>
1: Oh my gosh, man! I because you you brought up AI, I do have to wonder. What are your thoughts about that regarding the UX industry? I mean, I think I I mean I use it. I use it quite a bit. I think
2: it's a great brainstorm buddy, yeah. kind of like a tool that you can bring into your process. I know a lot of people who are able to do like idea generation or they've they've trained the ai to output certain things whether that be copy or visual or mm-hmm. that kind of stuff i think we're we're definitely in that like everyone's sort of figuring it out stage like where does this fit in my life and i will say it's made writing birthday card messages a lot easier for me that's mm-hmm. one <laughs> one very practical use but yeah, it's 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 really neat. It's really interesting. I mean, I'm not I'm not usually one to want to dismiss technology moving forward, but for sure this one this one's a potentially a, a beast of its own and who knows what it looks yeah. like in a few years.
1: Yeah, I know. I I do think like this is like the next level of technology yeah. that's going to like really impact every career whether we yeah. like her or not. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so, but also, like, something I'm really curious about is like also like the careers that I could come out of it. I think that's of things yeah. Like people don't even think about.
2: Yeah, I mean, before before email came out, there was this big, this big discussion around going to make the post office irrelevant. Technologies change, and look, I mean, I don't know who's benefited more from the internet than the post office. I mean multiple amazon packages show up on this doorstep yeah. every day <laughs>
1: all through the mail yeah no. even like the the craft designers like back in the, the 70s yeah. and 80s like what were they doing yeah. was really phenomenal work and then all of a sudden yeah. photoshop came out and like that changed yep. the game but it's like yep. are we still graph designers are we still solving visual problems right. like yes we are and we're just doing it like right. a lot more efficient way because like back then like if you messed up like oh you gotta start over you mess up now oh you just hit Control z yeah Totally, totally. Yeah, I know it's gone are the days of the, the
2: letter set and the 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 cutting cutting around letter shapes and forms and gluing them to paper, things like that. That's uh history of graphic design. Very interesting.
1: Yeah, and also the fact that how many of them were so good at typography even back then. Oh, yeah. Like it's incredible. Like, whoa, like you can make that like today and it would still do well. Oh yeah.
2: Yeah, we're trying to replicate some of these things digitally, make them feel more organic, more textured, more, more real.
1: Yeah, no, for the younger listeners, I like, I highly recommend like, look at the like the old and typography and design work because they like, it's still relevant to this day, man, it's, it helps out quite well. Uh, yeah, you get the the Massimo Vignelli's
2: of the world, Wim mm-hmm. crowl, all of the all the greats of the Bauhaus era.
1: So much good stuff out there. It's uh, it's a deep dive for sure. Oh yeah, it's Bauhaus man. They were so ahead of their time. It's actually really incredible. Yeah. yeah so, also uh, another question I have to wonder is how do you handle tight <laughs> deadlines? Well, I'll usually ask why is this deadline
2: what it is, who's driving this, who is this, a? is there a code cutoff date? Is there a marketing campaign? Is it what's the real reason why? And then kind of work backwards from there. Okay. Here's look at the calendar. What can we deliver within a meaningful, that amount of time and, um, work with, with people on setting expectations on what's possible and what's not and I think the worst thing you can do is to just not say anything and just accept the deadline for what it is. And then Mm -hmm. you kind of end up driving yourself crazy and setting expectations that these deadlines are normal and acceptable. I mean, typically a bad deadline is, it's a little, it's a decision made a little upstream from where design is is sitting. It's usually somebody's poor planning that has led to becoming your problem, (laughs) you know yeah. it's a, <laughs> with true. good planning we don't need with good planning there's no reason for a tight deadline i'm a big believer in that
1: yeah wow and that man that really made me think of like all the situations where i've had that tight deadlines like wow it turns out it's <laughs> you know, like, like how does that happen <laughs> yeah. all the time well because i just thought like there's I mean, always it just nature of the beast but honestly, yeah i mean I like, you're well, working there's a lot of natures, you're working agency
2: you know? side if you're on the agency side of things, I would say you definitely have your clients that you have good relationships with, but a lot of projects end up coming through the agencies because the in-house team has maybe realized they did not have the time or resources to make it happen. So it's kind of already running late by the time it ends up on your plate, which is unfortunate. But I guess that a lot of times design agencies tend to be kind of a staff augmentation or the extra, extra hands on deck that you might need. But, I mean that's I don't think that's like kind of belittling the job a little bit. I don't mean to do that, but hmm. yeah, it's it, it I've been on both sides of it. And when you're in house working at a startup or a tech company or whatnot, and you're doing the road mapping for the quarter or for the year and something something big comes up. For example, when I worked at Headspace, we did this uh this series on Netflix we had the guide to meditation oh, yeah, the guide yeah. to sleep. And I remember our team being so gutted that we were not going to be able to do a lot of the animation in house mm-hmm. because we had, we had the whole year, we had the whole quarter already on deck with our plans mm-hmm. and our roadmaps on what we were going to do. And so we had to get some extra support from animation studios and other, other folks to, to chip in a little bit because it was kind of one of those surprise projects that just kind of landed I think it was something that was in the, in the works, but the pandemic um, Mm. escalated that work made it given that Headspace is such a animation driven company and all of the film studios were shut down during COVID. Mm -hmm. um, I think you saw a big, a big rise in animated stuff getting made because it's all stuff you can make digitally from home. Right.
1: Yeah. That actually makes a lot of sense. I didn't really consider it. Yep. Yeah, no, I also met, that's actually where the time where I took meditation more seriously too, and I think a lot of people also could just oh, yeah. benefit, especially from that time, because I mean it was totally. difficult for like everyone because like there was oh, yeah. no one that wasn't affected by it.
2: Yep. Yeah. No. Yeah. We saw we saw the numbers move pretty in a pretty positive way. Like, yeah. Uh, it was it was bad for bad for the world, but um, we felt like we really kind of stepped in. Uh, or stepped up in a in a moment where the world the world could use more mindfulness uh, but yeah it is uh it's something I'll carry with me forever for sure and uh, I have i I guess I I don't know if uh, when exactly this will air, but it's been it's been a few weeks now that I've started a new gig over at Instagram so that's that's kind of my new adventure but mm-hmm. still trying to trying to retain all of those. All the different tenets of mindfulness and meditation that I learned over the years working on on the app, trying
1: to keep keep that with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm also a big fan of using mindfulness. So I'm also curious, how do you use your mindfulness in your day to day work?
2: Well, there's the basic stuff like trying to get a meditation session, ten minutes every every couple of days. Try to give yourself your yourself a little space to breathe. I like to look at it as mindful living. Instead Mm. of just like strictly meditation, I think being considerate of like the way you show up in the world, in the workplace, Mm. the work, the language you use, the giving people space. Yeah, like kindness, kindness, empathy. I try not to be the loudest voice in the room, even Mm. if if I'm the most senior person in the room or whatnot, try to let other people shine. It's not not just about me, that kind of thing. Yeah, trying to see the world from other people's point of views, and I think especially in a corporate environment, you can, you can quickly think that it's you need to have all the ideas, all the opinions, and um, not not a, really lean on other people for for support. So yeah, those are those are small ways. I think also the way that that you, you know, self awareness is really kind of the the root mm-hmm. of of all of it and. For example, I've been, I've been trying to get to bed a little earlier because I know that it makes me a better person in the morning when I'm well rested. So having that, that self-awareness that Mm -hmm. I'm not showing up the best that I can be. So trying to make these changes and yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Thanks for asking.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Especially for someone who comes from your background. Like I imagine a lot of people (laughs) have to know that. Yeah, so also know it's me though, though. Like I'm kind of on the right track as well because I'm always trying. Trying. It's so hard. It really is hard to be present, especially when we're working yes. on deadlines, dealing with yeah. criticism. you gotta be going through a hard solution. You're trying. You're try, trying to find a solution. You can't. Like yeah. it, that's always those moments. That, like it does take me out of living in the present being right. how can we be more mindful about what we are doing like how is our actions intentional our there was a manager of mine who told me once that uh, it's kind of a corny
2: thing to say but it's meditation practice not meditation perfect and i, I always stuck That's with true. me and okay yeah you're right we don't it's kind of the journey not the destination you know
1: yeah yeah that also reminds me with the headspace with that circle even the logo, like yeah. it's not a perfect circle and it never is. That's right. And I love That's it. That's right. <laughs> Such well done <laughs> yeah, there's, design. There's a lot of symbol in that. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Pro, uh, yeah props to you guys for always thinking of these small things <laughs> that like may, really make a difference. So of course, Frank, what would you say was the biggest learning lesson in your career so far?
2: The biggest learning? I guess that the solution doesn't always look the same. I think there are some best practices, but that there are so many factors to consider when you're making things for people or for businesses. Uh, for example, the the timing and the place that that company is in can make all the difference in the approach to the work I've worked at larger tech companies that are, you know, public companies that have, you know, stock ticker designing for that is very different than designing for a startup. That's looking to raise some money, very different from designing a brand identity for a company that's had a very bad PR moment. Mm -hmm. There's kind of, there's the design challenge in front of you. And then there's all of the context around why we're doing what we're doing. And I think when I first started this career, I thought I was just going to be making good looking stuff for businesses and ends up there's a whole bunch of other considerations, which I think are all fun and exciting and part of the challenge. But it is, I think, back to one of the first questions you ask. Start with curiosity. Mm-hmm. Ask a lot of questions. There's no question that's too dumb or stupid. Just kind of keep keep going I think they ask a lot of questions it shows that you care as well Mm -hmm. you're not just accepting things for for face value yeah that's that's kind of one just off the top that's been a major major learning I guess two another one has been um, you can work really hard and that's okay but do be careful that you're not about to face like some serious burnout or get into a rut, because I think that's not good for anybody. And that's going to take you out for a lot longer than you think. It's going to be hard to get back into, into the swing of things and get focused again. And I think a lot of people have probably learned that lesson, especially through... through
1: yeah, I always thought of, if you don't take the time to rest, your body yeah. will decide for you.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: that's, that's the truth. <laughs> yep yeah and it's usually is difficult to recover and i feel it is true like a lot of people sometimes need to learn that the hard way to know that Mm -hmm. we are not invincible our mind is not a robot Mm -mm. that's true yeah so awesome so as we're drawing a close to this episode what's the best way to support and check out what you're doing frank
2: yeah, sure. I think Twitter is kind of my main, my main place. Yeah. You can find me there. I can, you can drop a link in the, in the podcast description yes, or whatnot. Um, I do show up on Instagram though. I don't post as much as I used to. Other than that, I think we, you mentioned the shop earlier today. If you want to support me, it's sunshine shop.la. That's, that's my, my passion, my, my, my side hustle, as you might say. Really, really enjoy working with artists and creators there. Yeah, that's that's a few places you can find me.
1: Yeah, and just as Frank said, all links of that will be found in the show notes. Also, I think that's really awesome to have a side hustle. Uh, I think like every designer should just dabble in it every now and then, just to help them be able to focus on the think, perspective, yeah. not deal with burnouts, and just enjoy design. I think so, and when you get frustrated with your day job, to have
2: another creative outlet that your, your main job doesn't have to be kind of your everything, and it's funny you say that because, as I was recently on the job hunt looking for my next my next thing, um, the fact that I work with a lot of artists and creators on my on my shop was actually one of the main things that connected me with my new job because my focus at Instagram is working on features for creators. And so I think I had a pretty good portfolio and the interviews went well. But when it came down to kind of what is that X factor that that person brings to the table, it was that I've been supporting creators for years, helping them monetize their audience on my shop. And um, I I think we could all have kind of our own Mm-hmm. Uh, our own ver- our own version of that
1: that's true that's how i actually got into the agency i worked out so it was just wild. nice i know like how well i connected with the ceo turns out we both love self-improvement books <laughs> <laughs> that's great love it yeah i know i know that's why i look at like for like the beginner designers is find out like what you're most interested in and just lead in with that so i think that's always yeah. the most important thing instead of like spreading out feeling like you have to know everything you have to do everything well oh boy yes
2: that's that's advice for sure you don't have to be the best at everything pick a few things and be good at those and you can add on over the years but if you're always comparing to other people there i guarantee there's always going to be a better better prototyper better motion designer
1: (laughs) all that stuff. (laughs) yeah i know all right thank you so much frank for being here
2: yeah, no sweat. Thank you, Nick. Have a good rest of your evening.
1: Yes, please do support our guests, and I'll tell them you just listen to the UX Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Mann. Thank you for listening.
0: That concludes another episode of the UX Growth Podcast. We appreciate your time with us today. If you found value in this discussion, we invite you to follow us on your preferred podcast platform or to connect with the host on LinkedIn. Before we part ways, we'd like to acknowledge our sponsor, Bubble. If you're looking to create web applications effortlessly, Bubble's no-code platform is your gateway. Build your projects with intuitive drag-and-drop actions, making the complex seem simple. And the best part? You can kickstart your app development journey without any coding expertise. To support the show, we encourage you to visit our sponsors link, which can be found along with other links in the show notes. Until our next episode, continue your exploration, learning, and growth in the UX design field.